You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. So now what? Well, you can join me, Pastor Allen, and my colleague, Pastor Carissa, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 2, Episode 8. What else do I say in the welcome, Carissa? <laughs> That's really about it. Uh, this is the... <laughs> <laughs> this podcast will come out following the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, which is Sunday, February 9th of 2020. I got so used to you recording the intro that uh, the welcome. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we get for trying to switch it up. We are so Presbyterian. We cannot change seats. No, no, we cannot. You're, you were sitting in my pew and I just didn't That's know what to do. <laughs> There's a new person in my pew. All hell is breaking loose. <laughs> Heaven forfend that we should have new people in our midst. Oh my gosh. And they that... don't know which and they don't know which pews are empty. How could they not know? How could they not know? <laughs> my community star word for my congregations this year is welcome. And uh yeah, I'm thinking about like making them switch up the seating arrangement at some point. Even if there's no new people there, just rope off part of the sanctuary or something like that, just to see what happens. I think rope off random parts of the sanctuary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no rhyme or reason. <laughs> no rhyme or reason at all. Some people can sit in their normal pews. Mm -hmm. Some people can't. Uh, sections that are normally empty are, are still roped off while other sections that are normally full are also roped off. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'll let you know how that experiment goes. I'll wait till <laughs> after my trip to do that, I think. You'll get a report sometime in April uh, along with my resume. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, they wouldn't fire me for that. Hey, so um, since we're switching, switching roles, what we're asking this week at the beginning of the podcast, what's your sermon title, Alan? Salt and Light. That seems like a real easy... I don't know. Feel like, that's so obvious. It's even scripturally supported. It, it is. And you know what? Mine is not much less obvious. I went with this little light. So. Uh, hmm, if only there were a catchy song to sing with that. Gosh, I if I thought and thought and thought and couldn't think of one. No, nah, hmm. we and believe it or not, that's not actually in the service. I don't think. I might drag my family in last minute. They don't know this yet, <laughs> but we've done that one before. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so these passages this week, and we'll read those in a minute. They have me thinking about what it means to be a good person. I hate that phrase. Ooh, do tell. What do you hate about it? The word good is so subjective. Mm. Have I ranted about that before in this podcast? I don't know that you have. The word good is so subjective that You're it repeating is meaningless. Yourself. <laughs> that was last week's episode. That was last week. Um, it, it, yeah, I hear you. You know, I, I, want, I want words that are, one, scripturally rooted. Not that good isn't in the scriptures, but um, that are rooted and... and the, the, I want other adjectives that are grounded in the scriptures and also that uh, are 
measurable. Um, so I would rather you tell me that instead of, oh, he's a good guy, tell me she is a kind person. Because then you can describe acts of kindness that she has performed that you have witnessed. Yeah, I think that, I mean, when you are working with someone to set good goals or something like that, you you tell people they have to be measurable or they're meaningless. And that's sort of what's happening with the use of the word good when people talk about, oh, I'm a good person. That's exactly what I'm getting at. And uh, in, in this era of divisiveness, I think we need to point to concrete things that that help us arrive at the adjectives we use to describe people. We, we need a grounded sense of our, our identity and what the measures of that are. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and just being good is subjective. It's entirely too subjective. Oh, I feel it's a little bit too mediocre as well. We're not called in scripture to be good people. No, we are, as we will hear in a moment, called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's more than just being a nice guy. Yeah, salt is a good thing. Uh, I'm using that word purposely there. Salt is, I mean, don't, you know, I'm not going to eat popcorn without salt on it. Uh, pretzel without salt is boring. But get salt in a paper cut. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it, not it, always pretty. No, it needs to be appropriate to the situation. And uh, it's not in appropriate for internal uses like that but without salt you will die exactly exactly and we'll touch on that a little bit more um, after we read the passages uh alan why don't you or no i'll start off this week how's that uh one of the passages this week is my favorite passage possibly in all of scripture certainly in the prophet Isaiah's writings. I just absolutely love this. And I'm going to post a link in the show notes to a YouTube video from a band called Urban Doxology. They are this fun group that I had the pleasure of worshiping with at a worship conference a few years back. And they're this unique blend of a variety of different musical sounds. And they have this great spoken word version of Isaiah 58. And I just really fell in love with this passage at that time. So I'm going to post that, but I will also read it not nearly as pretty as, as they do in that song. Have at it. This is Isaiah 58, one through 12. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask, me, uh, uh, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose? 
to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the, the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt you shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. That is just a, a very compelling piece of scripture. It is. I mean, it starts off with this description of seemingly good people. And God says, no, that's not what I'm asking for. No, and and there's it, it really this week is almost like a repeat of last week with the texts because it is the same call to righteousness. It's a call to real righteousness as opposed to self righteousness. It's about doing the right things for the right reasons rather than getting noticed for doing the quote unquote right things. Or exactly. good things. Yeah, yeah. Um, if if you're fasting and you're praying and you're being a quote good person, isn't um, releasing people from injustice and poverty, and it's causing you to ignore the people that are important to you, and uh, not help those in need, then being a good person doesn't matter at all. No, and. I don't know about you, but I am reminded of an incident from seminary. I cannot read any passage about real fasting without remembering this particular instance from seminary. I probably recount it every Ash Wednesday as we begin Lent together and yep. start to fast. I'll actually be away this Ash Wednesday, which will give my poor congregation a break from having to hear me tell the story again. <laughs> Let, let's let's call our acquaintance from seminary Herbert. Okay, it's, let's call it, him Herbert. Let's protect it's not the names really of his, the innocent. Yes, we'll protect. Uh, well, I don't he, know if I can call him she. innocent. He, he or, or she. she. He or no, she. No, could there, be Herbert. Yeah, no. Um, I, I'm thinking of Herbert from a, an old Star Trek episode. That's another story. Okay, um, we're gonna get like floods of emails from seminary classmates that are gonna be like, "I know who you're talking about." I don't think we will. No, no, I don't think we will, because certainly okay. there was no Herbert. So, no, so Herbert. Be, before we go any further, um, we have another classmate who shall be named. Her name is Rachel, and Rachel is just a wonderful, lovely, creative person. Hey, girl. And, hi. <laughs> and sometimes she would channel her creativity into ways that brought pleasure to her classmates. 
For instance, you gotta re- you gotta reframe that one, man, because that could have come. That could have sounded so bad. Well, if you'd let me finish the damn sentence, <laughs> Rachel would sometimes bring cookies to class. Yes, she and would good cookies. Yes, very good cookies. She made some excellent chocolate chip cookies, and every once in a blue moon, she'd show up to class with a pan of cookies. So this one day. She comes to class with a pan of cookies, and she passes it around, and they get to Herbert. Oh my gosh, Herbert. (laughs) And and Herbert looks at them and says, not quite under his breath, but just loud enough for everyone in the classroom to hear, and he says... He says, oh, these cookies smell so good. They look delicious and everybody seems to be enjoying them, but I just can't. I'm fasting for Lent. I'm fasting today. (laughs) Was was it even Lent? (laughs) I think it might have been Lent. I don't know. This is the way that I have retold the story a million times. It's probably, it's the fish that got away kind of story. It grows every time. Right. And... Um, I just remember everybody in the classroom, like it got dead quiet and we all just looked at him incredulously trying to figure out if he was joking or not. You know, it's, it, it's not like this is an obscure piece of scripture. Right. We're only in one place. Right. It's not like it isn't also in the gospel of Matthew, um, more than once, six, more than once, but <laughs> in the gospel, coming up yeah. in chapter six, uh, do, yeah. do not, uh, do, do not do as the hypocrites do and, uh, mess up your face when you fast and call attention to it. So you're saying this, he, Herbert said this in a room full of students who knew all of the different scriptures and he did this completely unironically yeah he definitely was not joking or trying to yeah it was amazing it and it is such a perfect illustration of this and that it was a seminary student no less yes and and i will say that i could stand to lose a few pounds myself and so could herbert Neither he nor I seem to be ones who fast all that often. Right. But even if you are fasting, right, you don't need to announce it to the whole world. Nobody is going to be offended if you say no thank you and pass the plate of cookies. If someone is offended because you say no thank you and pass the plate of cookies to the next person, then that is on them, not you. You don't need to make this big, long, dramatic excuse of I'm fasting. No, especially not in a way that everyone in class can hear what you're saying. Yeah, and this is this is obviously like an extreme example, right? Or maybe perhaps just a super obvious example of this sort of thing. Um, but we don't mean to dogpile this one person. We all do this in a variety of different ways, right? Um, every year for Lent... Um, on Facebook, you know, you get all these people, hey, signing off until Easter, as if all 500 of their Facebook friends are going to be like, oh, my God, where did Carissa go? She's been gone since Ash Wednesday on Facebook. Nobody cares. Just fast from social media if you're going to. Right. Uh, Nobody cares if you give up chocolate for 40 days. 
except for you probably personally I tried to so I did try to give up coffee one year for Lent and I tried not to make a big deal of it do you remember this (laughs) I think you actually did this before seminary but I have heard of it every (laughs) year since By or, the or third maybe this or fourth, was our first year in seminary. That you I, think did it, I think it was the first year in seminary. And by okay. the third or fourth day of Lent, I mean, like, I barely made it to the weekend. And I was just, like, laying on the couch shivering and, like, running a fever. And my husband begged me to have coffee, my poor patient spouse. So sometimes it does really genuinely affect other people. So maybe some people should be let in on it. Um, but... I, I, that's just such a great example, though, of what Isaiah is talking about here, that um, it's, it's, not, it's not about looking like you're doing this, the good or spiritual thing on the outside. If the rest of your actions don't back up what you're doing, it's not doing anything. Correct. It is not leading you closer to God, especially if you are looking to get credit for it. Yeah. A real fast might have been... Um, taking a cookie for later and sharing it with the homeless guy washing windows over at the gas station next door to the seminary. Right. Or something that makes you reflect on how you feel when you are fasting and then you channel that feeling into action on behalf of those who are hungry or homeless or something like that. It moves you into solidarity with people who are suffering, not just because you have the moments of discomfort when you can't have chocolate whenever you want it. Right, right. Uh, So there is um, a, a connection between the Isaiah passage and Matthew. It's not actually as overt as the connection would be if Matthew 6 were paired with this passage. Um, this day in the lectionary, um, but it's it's um, paired with Matthew five thirteen through twenty. Alan, would you read that passage? Absolutely. Jesus is speaking here to the disciples. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give you glory to your Father in heaven. I'm going to reread that from the beginning of verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same 
will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love this passage. Yes. Um, Tell me, why do you love this passage so much and how is it connected to Isaiah 58? It's almost like you're following an outline. So a well-prepared outline by somebody very clever and organized. Um, Well, for starters, I was in Godspell in high school, so I can't read this passage without hearing, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So I like, I can like read along this passage singing. Um, so I just like it because it's catchy. Which... Ah, and, and, and since humility wasn't mentioned in this week's Old Testament reading, continue. I can just sing away and talk about my greatness. Um, no, well, I mean, that's one of the reasons we have music and worship, right? People sometimes. So, so that you can sing away and talk about your greatness. Yes. It's all about you, isn't it, Carissa? I'm so glad you finally come to agree with me on this point. Now, it's because music sticks to us, and it helps the words of Scripture and the theology that we proclaim in church stick to us in a way that is is good. Um, Just like I can't hear that Isaiah 58 passage without hearing that spoken word piece. I can't hear this without hearing that God spell piece. Um, Just just like I can't hear Layla by Eric Clapton without thinking of... um, of that scene in Goodfellas where they're finding the bodies. Sure. Let's go with that. Oh yeah. Um, not quite where I was going with that, but you're close. We're, we're circling in. <laughs> um, the, but I also, I love the, the visual nature of this passage. Sometimes when Jesus is using visualizations and, and metaphor and analogy, it is stuff that we don't necessarily relate to on as close of a level. Sheep and shepherding, we don't understand a whole lot about ancient agriculture, um, especially in urban settings like I'm in. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I didn't really truly get the mustard seed passage until I saw a mustard plant in Israel. And I was like, holy crap, that is a big freaking plant. Um and so this is one, though, that we can all... And, and a very invasive plant. Super invasive. Yeah. It just takes over everything near where it's at. And this passage, though, salt. Like, we all get salt. I don't know that we necessarily understand the entire importance of that. And I'm going to let you, because I know you've done research on this, <laughs> take over on that one. But, like, food without salt is boring. It's not fun. And um, light is something that's necessary. You know, we've come up with all these crazy inventions that we don't need to light lamps or candles as often anymore, but we still need light, especially this time of year, depending on where you live. So it's just a very vivid passage. It is. And those images help to set the words of the text in our mind. So interestingly, uh, the flavor of salt, as I understand it, comes from the shape of the salt crystal and the way that it breaks down very easily in our mouth and 
So what, what happens when food is salted is it makes us salivate and we taste more of what's in the food. But the pleasing nature of salt, the, the parts of saltiness that we like, all come from that crystalline structure. And yes, I'm sure there, there's somebody out there who knows the technical part of this better than I do. But when I heard that, uh, it, it just made it all more interesting because what that means is that salt actually can't lose its saltiness. If it broke down in such a way that it didn't have that crystalline structure, it would cease to be salt. It would be separated into sodium and chlorine ions, which presumably happens while you're digesting it. And I know that uh, sodium is one of the things that uh, sodium ions are part of the electrical impulses in our bodies. That's what carries the impulse from the brain to the body or the thought from one uh, neuron to another or the electricity from one synapse, uh, the electricity from one neuron across the synapse to another neuron. So salt is essential to life. And yes, if you are a science person, and I am not phrasing this exactly correctly, uh, please email us at info at softidolatry.com. So I'm actually fact-checking you as you talk <laughs> right now. And, and I, I have found two links that I'm going to post in the show notes just so we can, like, you know, provide people with um, accurate scientific information. I think you are broadly correct on this. Uh, but I'm going to post a link to uh, HowStuffWorks.com on how salt works. And also one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is Stuff You Should Know because it is so broad and so random and so fantastically done. So they did an episode on how salt works. So I'm going to post their episode also in the show notes. Oh, cool. That sounds like fun. You would love that podcast. It's, it's great. It's really well done. Shout out, guys. We love you. You're great. Or I do anyway. Alan doesn't know who you are. That is um, correct. That's correct. So um, th there isn't any salt in Isaiah 58. But there is light in Isaiah 58, um, mm -hmm. specifically talking about if you do this, then your light will be seen, which is a really interesting connection to this Matthew 5, because Matthew 5 talks about being salt and light, but it doesn't give us a whole lot of breakdown on what that looks like. And well, it gets back to uh, the earliest interactions between God and humanity and uh, God says to Avram before he becomes Abraham, uh, I will I will make your your descendants a light to all the nations. I will make you a blessing to all peoples. And that's what Isaiah is getting back at. And Jesus is just echoing that call from the prophets to be a light to the world, or in this case, a light to the Gentiles. Yeah, this is one of those places where an, a solid understanding of Hebrew scripture is so important to understanding what Jesus has to say, because Jesus was um, a Jewish man who had a Hebrew education, um, as much as most people would have at that time. And so he knew his scripture. He was a rabbi, which means teacher. So, um, yeah, so these are not necessarily new themes, 
that are coming up in the scripture. It's not just coming from nowhere. It's been referenced before in scripture. And it's interesting that you brought up um, Abram, who becomes Abraham, because he actually, would you believe I was planning ahead for worship and liturgy this past week? No way. I really, truly was. I'm almost all the way through Lent, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen. My poor secretary, who's about to get like eight emails of bulletins from me for the next eight weeks. Uh, but Abraham comes up very soon, actually. And we start to see his his call and the promises God makes to him. Mm. Just a little sneak preview of, of upcoming weeks. So just a sneak preview of what's coming up in weeks to come. We'll be talking about Abraham some more. Or There's I will. <clears throat> well, I, I probably will, too. There's a lot to talk about there. There is, there is. What else you got today, Alan? What else do I have today? Um, hmm. What else do I have? So I, I guess I want to talk about the fulfillment of the law and uh, th this call to be the salt and the light. Um, Jesus says that... Uh, that if you break one of these commandments, and boy, does he set a really high bar. If you break one of these commandments or teach others to break the commandments, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you keep them, you will be called um, great in the kingdom of heaven. So I think we still, uh, certainly I feel the need to teach against this idea of working your way into your own salvation that takes grace out of everything. But you get passages like this where it almost seems like Jesus is saying everyone will be in the kingdom of heaven. Everybody might be saved. So if that is the case, and no, I am not arguing the universalist position right now, but Let's just say if it is open to everyone and you cannot work your way in, then why do you have to keep these commandments? Why do you have to do these things that Jesus keeps telling us to do if it's not going to work your way in? And I think the short answer is that what Jesus is telling us to do is to build the kingdom of heaven here on earth so that those who are suffering will cease to suffer. It's a call for us to end the suffering, the human suffering here on earth, and to get busy with that work rather than just preparing our souls for some sort of afterlife. Yeah, that's um, a very Bartian position, and I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that. This is about leaning into our identity as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and making that kingdom a reality now. It doesn't make us necessarily more or less saved um, as individuals, but it does um, it does bring the kingdom here and now, which mm -hmm. it, as Christians we declare to be our true identity, or that's what Paul says anyway. Right, and Jesus says the kingdom has come near, but it it's not yet here. And so if we get back to that salvation piece, it is not that we are saved from death and destruction. Jesus does that. 
through his own death and resurrection, we are saved for the work of building the kingdom. And the first part of that is simply announcing that Jesus has come into the world and that we are saved through Jesus and that our identity is in Jesus. And then we keep following him into the dark places and working to be the salt and the light in all of those places. That's what we're called to do. And if we can make that a universal thing, then we end the dark places and the suffering for everyone. And we have all come into line with that. But if we don't, if we keep finding excuses for not doing it, then it becomes like Groundhog Day. And we wake up to the same broken world where it feels sometimes like nothing ever changes. Exactly. Yeah. It, the law is not about being a good person. If we want to circle back to where we've been, the law is about proclaiming the kingdom. Correct. And so I think that that we are so used to a rules-based kind of uh, Christianity, uh, rules-based practice in which we over-spiritualize things and we make salvation about us getting in and perfecting ourselves, making ourselves good enough for God to accept us. That we're already good enough. God already accepts us and loves us. And the work of overcoming sin and death has been accomplished by Jesus. So what are we supposed to do? Build that kingdom. Yeah. Love kindness. Do justice. Walk humbly with our Lord. Exactly. And, and be the salt and be the light. I got nothing else. Um, how about if we're swapping around uh, roles today? How about I pray and offer a blessing and uh, you can sign us out? You get it. All right. Let's pray. Great God of all, we thank you for the witness of Scripture. We thank you for, um, for the opportunities to be salt and to be light. We thank you for um, the example of those who've come before us in the pages of scripture and in our own lives that have, have shown us how to do that. We pray that you would give us opportunities as we move forward in our lives to, um, to do justice in the world and to seek the welfare, the shalom of the people around us that it might not be about being a good person or how do we look on the outside, but that it would be about how near is your kingdom and how are we pointing to it and how are we participating in it as citizens of the kingdom of God right here on earth. We humbly pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And now may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Amen. So, goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to Soft Idolatry. If you want to contact us about anything that you heard on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, please send an email to info at softidolatry.com or look for us on Facebook. And if you really, really want to help us out, you can fund us through Patreon. 
And you can find links to Patreon at the website softidolatry.com. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, Alan. Oh, no. You know why, why sharks swim in salt water? I don't, but if you start singing Baby Shark, I am leaving this podcast. That hadn't crossed my mind. Um, no, uh, because pepper water makes them sneeze. Ah, gesundheit. That's all I got. Baby shark. That's a wrap. Thank goodness. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.